everyone. Welcome to Women's Sports Central. I'm Brenda Van Lingen, along with Michelle Vopel, and we are recording this before the WNBA Finals. It's Thursday, October 3rd. If you get a chance to uh, listen in or share this with another WNBA fan, we're going to be discussing the WNBA Finals matchup of Minnesota and Atlanta, which starts this Sunday night at 8.30 Eastern Time. Um on the ESPN family. And uh, Michelle, I know that you've been uh, at at Eastern Conference sites throughout uh, the finals here. You've had chats with fans uh, and a lot of articles going up on ESPN.com. Just kind of your overall viewpoint before we dive into some of the details, but your overview as we head into the WNBA finals this weekend. Brenda, it's interesting that on the East, um, it was a lot about matchups, and you and I over the years have talked about how big a factor that can be uh, in all sports, but I think basketball in particular. The matchup of Chicago and Indiana was not the matchup that the Sky wanted. I mean, that was a team they had struggled with all during the regular season. If things had gone a little differently, and like the last week, the Sky might have been playing Washington, and I think pro- would have had a better chance at winning that series, and they just matched up better. Uh, with the Mystics, and then the uh, the Fever win, and they go against a Dream squad that had looked terrible in its first game, and then just turn things around. That was a bad matchup for the Fever because the Dream had played better against them during the season, and you you kind of saw that uh, in both of those series, the the team that won was really able to exploit getting to the rim. The the Fever mm-hmm. were able to do that against the Sky. And then the Dream were able to do it against the Fever. And uh, there were close games um, in in the, the latter series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Not so close in the, in the sky and, and um, the Fever. I think a lot of fans were probably disappointed, not because anything against the Fever, but because they were so excited about um, what Elena Deladon had mm-hmm. brought to the league year, how she had clicked, how Sylvia Fowles was having her first chance in the playoffs, the improvements they saw from, uh, you know, Courtney Vandersloot, and it just didn't, it was over almost before it began, but I think it was really good for them. I was in their locker room in Indiana, and they were really disappointed. You know, I mean, sometimes with pro teams, it's a little more business-like after games, and it was definitely very, you know, they weren't crying, but it was it was like a really sad kind of ticked off, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we had this great season. It's already over. And Courtney Vandersloot said, you know, we sort of the thing you, you, you hear a lot from, you know, I think you hear more in college sometimes is we don't want to feel this way again next year. We really want to learn from this, and, and we see the mistakes that we made, and we, we really kind of didn't have um, the mentality that we needed even though Pokey Chapman was kind of was downplaying that, which I think is smart, that's what a coach does. Mm-hmm. Lynn Dunn, Lynn Dunn was doing the opposite, saying, "Hey, you know, the reality is experience does make a difference in the postseason." Mm-hmm. So those are, you know, my thoughts just on seeing the uh, the East uh, in person. A lot of those games. Uh, what did you think about the West, Brenda? Because that was, I think, going in, people thought we might get some more sort of explosive games in the West, and uh, and. You know, the, the links just uh, really still barreled their way through. They did. And I, I think, you know, the season that Minnesota had, everybody 
had expectations that they would end up the team representing the West in the finals. But the way uh, Phoenix had improved down the stretch, the great games between L.A. and Minnesota, L.A. and Phoenix, etc. during the re- regular season as things wrapped up, uh, there were some question marks. And, you know, we, we wondered how things would develop in the Western Conference. And, you know, the, the games between Phoenix and L.A., each of them coming down to final possessions and just, uh, you know, really exciting play, different players stepping up, uh, things happening in that series that uh, I think made it really compelling, very interesting for fans to watch and follow. And then Phoenix emerging and uh, and having Minnesota really uh, take care of business. And uh, that's what we saw from Minnesota throughout the WNBA season. They had a stretch early on where they they had a few hiccups, but for the most part, they are so businesslike about how they approach things, bouncing back from last year, making it to the finals and not winning a championship. And just the the talent they they have uh, in Lindsey Whalen and Simone Augustus and, and Maya Moore, especially but uh, what McCarvel and Brunson do inside it just they they really did just take care of business uh with with Phoenix and uh, you know I don't think it's a surprise that they're here but uh, uh at all but we at the beginning of the year thought with Phoenix drafting Brittany Griner how much of a difference would that make with Candace Dupree and Diana Taurasi even though they improve Phoenix down the stretch there has to be some real disappointment I think uh in Phoenix as far as the way some things developed for them but uh, uh I'm looking forward to this the the finals matchup uh, as as Minnesota moves forward BV, I want to put you on the spot a little bit um, before we go into the finals uh, look. How about that that Phoenix-L.A. series? Because this two years in a row that L.A. has come down to, you know, losing the game by one point, uh, their season ending. And somebody asked me on my chat today, um, although I didn't, <laughs> I don't think I answered the question because I didn't have time, but I saw the chat, I saw the question. Uh, is that a coaching issue when you have, like, you know, you, you don't get that last shot that you want? This is my thought. I want your thoughts because you were actually were a coach. I tend to think, especially at the pro level, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's about execution for players. I think, I yeah. think that, you know, the, the teams know each other so well. I don't think there's any play that Carol Ross is going to come up with in those last minute in those last seconds uh, that Phoenix doesn't, have an idea how to cover Mm -hmm. and i think it's just about execution which sometimes even for the best of players is really hard to do when there's a lot on the line and not much time what what are your thoughts yeah i uh i definitely think that especially in the professional game that it comes down to execution and it's not always the star player because yeah you're going to see candace parker or the star with the ball in their hands but depending on how it's defended you know, making good choices. Is somebody open? Is somebody that's not necessarily the person that you want to take the last shot open that you should get them the ball and decisions that have to be made or just taking it over and making those shots? Big decisions have to be made in in split-second moments. And, you know, that's, that's what sports are all about. And it's come down to it that way for LA doesn't mean that they didn't have a great season or a lot of talented players, but they didn't make those 
big plays when they needed to at the end. And that's where, you know, you come up with a lot of finger pointing and second guessing and whatever. But um, I just thought it was a well played, really well played by both teams. And it just came down to, uh, you know, possession by possession at the end, who made the big play and Phoenix made the plays that they had to, uh, to, to finish it off, at least to advance to play Minnesota. Yeah, and and then of course it was it was not Diana Taurasi who made the winning basket, no. as she said. It has to be secondary. Uh, and Brittany Griner obviously is a number one draft pick and, mm-hmm. and a great great player, but still a rookie. She's the one because they were covering uh, Taurasi very yep. well, and it, it, and Griner had that opportunity with the baseline jumper and and, and made the shot. So you're you're right. It, it isn't always going to be the star player who does it, but you kind of understand why Candace Parker wants to be the one. Mm-hmm. You know, with the ball in her hands. Uh, you know, watching that play over again, you kind of think maybe did she have a, a chance to to you know to pass it off and maybe have have somebody open. I mean, that's I'm sure she'll you know like you said, there's always that second guessing, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it did. It was interesting because Phoenix then went into its series with Minnesota with a lot of momentum. I think they felt like they it had felt momentum. like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, did that door get slammed by the Lynx. And I, I think by the Lynx in general, but the play of Lindsey Whalen set the tone in Game One. I mean, she just was relentless at attacking. And something that Minnesota does well, and as we advance to to talking about the final, you know, that's what Atlanta is faced with, is how do you defend what Minnesota does so well? And and one of the things they do extremely well is the on-ball screen, the pick and roll, especially with the ball in Lindsey Whalen's hand or the ball in Simone Augustus' hands. And when they turn the corner off of a screen, you have to decide how that's going to be uh, as defender, how you're going to defend it, who you're going to choose, and Waylon and Augustus can pick you apart with their decision-making. And in that game against Phoenix, I mean, it just started off, Lindsey Whalen just turned the corner, ten, turned the corner, turned the corner, and Phoenix had no answer. And Phoenix was in a hole right at the beginning of that game. And that's what I think is going to be a real key uh, you know, strategy-wise and just uh, tone-wise, is because if you think back last year with uh, the finals, the, uh, Minnesota did not get off on a good start, did not establish the tone in that series, and that made all the difference. But when they exert their will, good things have happened for them in the past. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and and. It does point out when you have a point guard who is so, just so um, good at her craft, mm-hmm. and you know we've we've seen that with other with other point guards. You know, I think last year, even though you don't think of her as a quote unquote elite point guard, Brianne January did a lot of what she needed to do. You know, from from that standpoint, um, you know, with Indiana, but with Waylon, with Sue Bird, um, those are two really good examples. Uh, you know, back when, when Katie Smith won the, the championship and she had switched to point guard with uh, with uh, Detroit, now defunct uh, Detroit, now, now the, uh, <laughs> the Tulsa shock. But back when she was there, I thought the same thing. When you have a point guard who is just really, really good at reading the defense, at running the pick and roll, and she's a, and she's an offensive threat. Mm-hmm. It does yes. it makes it look like it's not that hard, you know. <laughs> and, and and like when you when you Isn't diagram it, it may not even look that hard. But execution of it to to be that good, and we see that you know you 
see that in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, to be really good at that, really, I you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize everybody else, but boy, when your point guard is very good at that, you know, you've you've certainly got a leg up in winning basketball games. So let's talk a little bit about the the final between Minnesota and Atlanta. I know you had a chat uh, earlier today, and one of the questions that came up was. You know, does Atlanta have the ability to contend? What what are they going to have to do to be able to beat Minnesota? I've got some thoughts on that. Your your response or things that you heard, have heard from fans so far, do, does Atlanta have a chance? I think most people say no. Uh, they don't feel like the Dream has a chance, not so much because the Dream doesn't have talent or because the dream is going to play exactly like they played back in 2011 when they lost to Minnesota in three games because the teams the Atlanta team does have some differences but because and this is how I feel I mean the links are fundamentally a lot the same if not possibly better um, as they were in 2011 I mean they have that core group that's that's played together and knows each other so well uh, what and it will seem obvious, but one of the things that Atlanta, I'll say two things that they would have to do, and I'm not sure that they will be able to do either one of them, is they have to win, obviously, one of those games. You know, preferably the first game for them, as, as Indiana did last year, to kind of put the links back on their heels. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that, but mm-hmm. that's they, they're going to have to do that. And then they're going to have to force – um, Minnesota into more turnovers than right. than Minnesota is used to used to having, and and you know you saw in the series in the Eastern Conference Final series, it wasn't like Indiana was throwing the ball all over the place, but they were turning it over too much mm-hmm. to to and and then just fueling what the Dream does well. Mm-hmm. And Lynn Dunn talked about if they have three or four less turnovers in both of those games, how maybe how how different that series could have gone, but they yeah. didn't. They, they turn the ball over, and that fuels Atlanta's offense. So that's what they're going to need is to somehow, you know, steal one of those games and in doing so turn over Minnesota more than Lindsey Whalen and Minnesota are, are accustomed to being turned over. And that's how Atlanta beat Minnesota in one of their matchups this year is they forced a good number of turnovers. And I, I think, too, that's going to be a key. And it, it is going to be a key in these first couple of games in Minnesota. Atlanta needs to steal one, and they're going to have to rely on their defense and their team speed to make that happen. Somehow find a way to disrupt uh, this solid uh, Minnesota offense with all of its uh, all of its parts and pieces that are so good together. If some if one person isn't shooting well, another is, and if they're all shooting well, watch out. But yeah, for to <laughs> me, you know, if Michelle or if uh, Michelle if Atlanta comes in and is able to disrupt somehow. Uh, that's the that's the only way they have a chance, you know, because after, in their Eastern Conference, you know, after that first bad game, you talked about it before the the bad game against Washington. Since then, they've played well, and against Indiana, their team speed had a fever team that is known for its defense. Lyndon's teams have been known for their defense over the years, and um, and the Dream just had them on their heels. They just kept attacking Harrington, McCautry. Uh, Tiffany Hayes, others just attacked with the dribble and had them on their heels, and they were completely in attack mode in the offensive set, but also creating those turnovers and scoring in transition. And that's how they got the edge. And it's just so difficult to do against Minnesota because they're 
they are so complete. But to me, that's the that's the only way Atlanta has a chance. And you saw, you know, last year the the fever. Uh, you just got to give them so much credit because I I sure didn't think that they were going to win the finals last year, and mm-hmm. especially not once Katie Douglas was out. But they were able to do that because they they just they played with a ferocity in all those games that that I thought you know was absolutely necessary. They were also just able to hit perimeter shots, and you saw in the in the game against uh, the Dream, uh, the the second game uh, in Indiana, they just they just couldn't shoot very well. And that was a game where it was very obvious they were missing a, a score of the of the caliber of Katie Douglas. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing is they could do you know the fever is able to do that against the dream. But just what you mentioned in terms of the threats on on uh, Minnesota, it's like I made this analogy I think before to to some some teams, in fact probably some UConn teams, Brenda, but. You remember when you used to play Asteroids, and you'd start off, and you're shooting all the little rocks, and you're like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. <laughs> and then pretty soon they just start coming a lot faster and from all the different directions, and you're spinning around, spinning around, spinning around, and they start they start hitting you, you know, because you think, oh, I got it, I got it. Oh, no, I don't have this. There are too many of them. They're coming at me too fast. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's what it's like to play Minnesota when everybody's clicking because – Yes. Who on that team um, isn't doesn't have the capability if she's having a great night, in, in, including Rebecca Brunson, mm-hmm. um, or or even heck Janelle McCarville was you know was a you know is a is a high caliber player. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in a role now, but can she score? Yes, she can score. Can Simone Augusta score like crazy? Mm-hmm. Can Lindsay Whalen score? And then I think Maya Moore has just you know she is at a level now even as good as she was as a rookie when they won the title now she's really matured um in a lot of different facets of her game and and she can i mean she can fill up the basket too so how do you how do you stop all those rocks coming at you mm-hmm. i don't know maybe mm-hmm. you were better at those those games than, than i was <laughs> that, now that, that is an old school reference right that there <laughs> the asteroids the references i have are old <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So if you had to, if, if you're making a prediction, what's your prediction on the final? I think it's going to be a sweep, but for Atlanta's sake, for, uh, you know, for the, I really hope Atlanta's able, um, you know, I, I think it would be nice if they were able to win one of those games, yep. you know, and play two games um, in Atlanta, have their fans get a chance. Cause in the last two finals, they've only played, you know, one game, mm-hmm. uh, both years in Atlanta because they didn't have the, the home court advantage. Uh, the games are going to be out at the Gwinnett Center, which I was there earlier this year for the SEC women's basketball tournament. I don't know how that's going to impact attendance. Attendance hasn't been great uh, in in the Phillips uh, in Phillips Arena downtown. It, it wasn't really that great. I didn't think for the uh, you know for the earlier playoffs. Right. And, you know, it's it's right in the middle of downtown. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, th- I-, I pointed this out in my chat today. I've been sort of scratching my head at the Braves attendance, Some, you know, in, in the last you know week or two of the Major League Baseball season I thought was kind of spotty. But how will that impact things for them playing out at the Gwinnett Center, which is not their home? Um, you know, if they can get a second game out there, you know, what kind of crowd will they get? Because that one will be on a – if they can get a second game also, it will be on, a, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So um, – you know, I I think you know it's funny. I was watching um, I was watching Sue Bird, who's been doing some commentary mm-hmm. 
or ESPN, and I, and I thought it's been um, fun to watch because she's such a she's such a brainiac uh, about playing, and you could see her like she was like uh, I don't want to say sweet, <laughs> yes, because <laughs> <laughs> I want to say four, but my mind keeps saying sweet, sweet, sweet. I know. And I will say one more thing about this, Brenda, in terms of the sweep. I have been wrong about the dream all year. There like, go. there's nothing about the dream that I've been right about. I said they were going <laughs> to – I'm pretty sure I picked them last. I know I picked them to not make the playoffs. Then I picked them to lose the first-round series against Washington. I picked them to lose against Indiana. <laughs> so, so they're just know, like, keep it times, coming, Michelle. Keep it coming. Yeah, something's got to give. Either I finally have to rewrite about it or, you know what, they're going to they're gonna – shock the WNBA and win the title. Yeah, I, I think it would be shocking if Atlanta won. I would have to, I'm going to go with Minnesota 3-1, to one, but uh, I am I lean toward the, the sweep too, uh, unless somehow Atlanta can be so disruptive with their defense to take Minnesota out of a rhythm, and I just don't see it happening, but it could. It absolutely could, and that's, that's, why, that's why we play these games. Um, before we go, I know you've got a, a story coming out, uh, and I want to give you a chance just to give people a heads up about it, really highlighting um, two spectacular players. There are a lot of them on the court, but when you look at what Maya Moore and Angel McCautry have done and have accomplished in their careers, uh, you, you have a, a story coming out that really highlights the talents of those two. They really are, um, they're, they're players who are accustomed to success. And Maya, of course, going to UConn, uh, even though that program was already very well established, I, I, she still put her own individual mark on it. It was during Maya's career there, of course, that they won the, the record uh, 90 games in a row. She went to the Final Four all four seasons, won two titles, has been to the WNBA Final three years in a row. So it's interesting, you know, the last the last series that's played in basketball, you know, college and pro for the last seven years, Maya Moore's been there. And I, I'm not sure there's uh, any greater mark of uh, of a player's talent than that she's consistently, um, you know, helps her team be there, when, you know, either winning a championship or having the opportunity to win a championship. But also, Angel McCautry came into that dream franchise. They had been 4-30 and in the first year, the inaugural year. And they've been to the playoffs every single year. So she's been to the playoffs uh, all five of her seasons and been to the finals, three of them. And, of course, she, you know, one of the championships that Maya Moore won in college came at the expense of, of Louisville in Angel's senior year. But, you know, she was able to get her college program to that level, too. And so I think that's and, – and obviously look at the two of them being – uh, Olympic gold medalist mm-hmm. uh, in 2012. So really, every at every uh, stage of the game and overseas, uh, they've been terrific players as well. We don't want to necessarily leave that out. It sometimes I I can be bad about you know ignoring that or not paying enough attention to it, but they've been very successful in their overseas careers too. So these are two players. Uh, Maya's 24 years old. Angel just turned 27 uh, in September. Who are really at the peak of their game, and and they're elite stars, Brenda. I mean, they're players that you tune in to watch yeah. because they have that. Um, it's it's they're smart basketball players in terms of they really know what they're doing on court, but they're also just physically elite athletes. Different personalities in a lot of ways, but one of the things I talk about in this story is maybe there are similarities between them that we generally may not think of when we think of 
Maya, and Angel. Because I found myself for the last you know few days thinking a lot about the two of them. What ways were they similar? What ways were they different? And that's kind of what I examined in this story. All right, so people can check that out on uh, ESPN.com. I'm sure it's on ESPNW as well. Um, Another star, you know, we've talked about uh, Lindsey Whalen for Minnesota, but Simone Augustus, you know, I'm going down to LSU this weekend actually to broadcast a volleyball game before I head to the WNBA Finals to work uh, behind the scenes on the the Super Telestrator uh, machine during the WNBA Finals. But I remember I actually went uh, to LSU, went to Baton Rouge uh, to call first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament when Simone Augustus was a freshman in college. And so I, it's kind of fun to uh, go there this weekend and then head up to Minneapolis for the first round of the WNBA finals and, and be able to follow. I know you'll be at all the WNBA finals sites as well. Uh, just looking forward to it, uh, putting a bow on the season and then you and I can come back and talk a little bit uh, as we go forward, talk a lot about the college volleyball season and other sports that are going on during the fall. Any parting shots as we wrap up today's show, Michelle? And then, uh, Brenda, we have that little matter of the college basketball season coming up, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. That, that'll, be, that'll be with us um, really, really quick. And I think you're right to give a shout-out to Simone Augustus because she handled what could have been kind of a weird situation a little bit there, although, I frankly, I found the whole thing kind of amusing, the, uh, the mm. quote-unquote kiss from Diana Taurasi. Right. Um, Simone handled it perfectly because she was a little ticked off at first, and then she realized, hey, I'm not going to get caught up in all this. I'm going to you know, laugh it off and brush it off because my team is really playing well, which I thought was just the perfect way to handle all that. You got to feel also good for her because she put in some tough years with the Lynx. Yes. And then she won her championship in 2011. And, and she's, I, I really admire stars who play well with other stars. And that's yes. what she's done. She yes. really welcomed Lindsay Whalen and, and um, and and encouraged Rebecca Brunson, and then obviously welcomed Maya Morin. And one last shout out, Brenda, mm-hmm. uh, a guy who I'm going to be writing a story about um, a, a little later, I guess in between, I think games one and two, is Fred Williams. I mean, yeah. this guy's been in um, women's basketball a um, long time. Since yeah, since the early '80s. And from everybody you talk to, will tell you this is—he's just a pretty fine gentleman. He really is. He's a good guy. He's—he loves women's sports. I think we don't necessarily know a lot about him. And when I was talking to him, I, I think I realized part of that is because Fred doesn't talk about himself very much. He—he he talks about his players. He doesn't take a lot of credit. He's—he's—he's um, he's a background guy. But you've got to look at what he's done this season, taken over um, last season. He was an assistant with the Dream and taken over, which was a tough time for the Dream. Yep. And we talked about that a lot last year. Mm-hmm. But, but having a new point guard in, in Jasmine Thomas this year um, and, and playing with the injury to, to Sancho Little and getting that team back in, a, a good guy who I think uh, deserves some spotlight and some kudos for what he's done for women's basketball and, and what he's accomplished with the Dream this year. Fantastic. You're just the person to do it. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to us and joining us again for this edition of Women's Sports Central. Uh, Let us know your thoughts on the upcoming WNBA Finals. Send us a a tweet uh, if you get a chance on the Women's Sports Central 
uh, Twitter page. And uh, we'll look forward to the rest of the fall as we gear up for the college women's basketball season and uh, college volleyball and other sports and happenings that are happening in the world of women's sports. On behalf of Michelle Vopel, I'm Brenda Van Lingen. This is Women's Sports Central.